Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know there's one day in America when working stiffs like us have as much power as the billionaires? It's called Election Day. Hello, and welcome back <laughs> one last time to Michael and Us, a depressing, nostalgic journey through the life, art, thought, and influence of Mr. Michael Moore. My name is Will Sloan. I'm here as always with Luke Savage. And it's a special day. As I mentioned, it is our last episode, at least in this form. Mm. And I, I mean, I can't tell you how lucky we are. I know that we told you on the last episode that we'd heard there was something coming down the pipe from Michael Moore. And it turned out to be an entirely new Michael Moore film. Wow. We just watched a little movie called Michael Moore in Trumpland, which uh, the man himself made in something like a week and a half mm. and rushed. In- Hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, rushed into theaters and onto iTunes just in time for the 2016 election. Just in time to save us all from the menace of Donald Trump. And, you know, I don't even know where to... Well, first of all, like, what have you been up to? It's been three weeks since we've recorded. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even seen each other for, like, three weeks. The last time we saw each other was when we recorded the the Where to Invade Next episode. So this is kind of... Yeah. It's like a homecoming, in a way. Yeah. You, me, and Michael Moore. Yeah, we're all all back together. Um, I don't know, two days ago, I was on stage in Ottawa, and then they booed the Prime Minister, like, 16 hours later. So that's pretty cool. Oh, sure. Um, Myself... Uh, I did my laundry last night. <laughs> that was pretty cool. But listen, here we are. We just watched Michael Moore in Trumpland. Um, and I mean, it's amazing because I feel like we've been like barreling towards this end point, you know, and we've been, you know, wading through these nostalgic trips. And yet, and then here we are, and it, suddenly it's current, you know, suddenly we're right here in the moment with Michael Moore who's given us a new film, and it's just the perfect way to end the podcast. In this movie, it's a record of a one-man show that Moore did just a few weeks ago in Clinton County, which is in a very conservative district in Idaho, I think? Or Ohio, I don't know. Yeah, who Who cares? cares? Yeah. It's a district with a lot of Trump voters, and it's, um, it's in Clinton County, ironically named yeah there's a bit of irony there uh but basically the pitch of this movie is it's michael moore you know you you've heard of him he's just kind of a normal working class guy from michigan you know he understands some of the pain that trump has seized on he understands the some of the legitimate grievances that trump voters have and you know michael moore he's he's not really a hillary fan he voted for bernie you know in the 90s he voted for nader he voted for third party candidates he voted for obama in the 2008 primary so he gets where you're coming from he's not a hillary fan but he's here on stage and he wants to meet you halfway you live here in ohio you know what i'm talking about whether trump means it or not is kind of irrelevant because he's saying the things to people who are hurting And it's why every beaten down, nameless, forgotten working stiff who used to be part of what was called the middle class loves Trump. He is the human Molotov cocktail that they've been waiting for. The human hand grenade that they can legally throw into the system that stole their lives from them. And on November 8th, election day, although they've lost their jobs, 
although they've been foreclosed on by the bank. Next came the divorce, and now the wife and kids are gone. The car's been repoed. They haven't had a real vacation in years. They're stuck with the shitty Obamacare bronze plan where you can't even get a fucking Percocet. <laughs> They've essentially lost everything they had except one thing. The one thing that doesn't cost them a cent and is guaranteed to them by the American Constitution, the right to vote. Now, as faithful listeners to this show will know, Luke here is not a fan of Hillary Clinton. Uh, he stumped, I think, pretty heavily for Bernie Sanders in the primary. <laughs> Me, you know, I like Bernie, but I'm more... You're more of a Trump guy. Well, you know, I like Trump. I like For me, it was either Bernie or Trump. Uh, I, I think we just needed... Well, you and a lot of white males, it was kind of like a toss-up. We needed to throw a Molotov cocktail at the system. I'm yeah. not one for an establishment politician like Hillary Clinton. yeah. yeah. What can I say? You're right. I am a white male. I feel my white maleness being encroached upon yeah. by diversity yeah. and outsourcing of jobs. That's right. <laughs> uh, and also the culture leaving me behind. So yeah. I had to lash out. That's right. But as I said, Luke, very much into Bernie Sanders. Luke has a hatred of Hillary Clinton. I think it's fair to say that has only increased over the election. And watching this movie with Luke. if if I I, I mean, if I can just be like. It's like you were having your fingernails torn out this, of your this, hand. I mean, this film nearly gave me an aneurysm. Like, if I can just be serious for, like, 20 seconds. Sure. We started this podcast with the idea that Where to Invade Next would be the final episode because it would be the perfect index of the ultimate inadequacy of the streak of liberalism represented by Michael Moore. But this film outdoes that to, I mean, it's exponentially. I mean, this is a film with no politics we'll have to have a separate segment for all the hackneyed jokes in this but let's just talk about the basic form of it and the structure because it begins with kind of cookie cutter liberal platitudes about there are trump voters here there are third party voters here there are hillary voters but we're we're all americans you know we we want good schools for our kids schools for our kids right let's Mm -hmm. meet each other halfway all this kind of stuff hey let's take some of the some of the liberal things. Who here doesn't like gay marriage? You yeah. don't like gay marriage? Don't sir? get gay married. Yeah. Wow. Done. You know, I mean, if and I'm, then it cuts to that guy in the audience laughing and like giving a yeah. thumbs up to show that, you know, Michael, he's reaching across the aisle. It's like, you don't like abortion? Don't get an abortion. No. I mean, if only the those clowns in Congress had had the wisdom <laughs> to, they could have broken the partisan gridlock decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, seriously, like he has this you know, these, these platitudes, but then the rest of the film, I would say pretty much, it would be fair to say consists of just typical bad liberal humor and also banal condescension towards like the Trump position. He has this earnest attempt to represent it, but then mostly it's just him doing bad joke, like Borowitz level humor. Not, not even, not even Borowitz level humor. And then whenever he talks about Clinton he just regurgitates the most insane Breitbart.com conspiracy theories about her being a mur- murderer and what you know whatever else. Just fish in a barrel that he can shoot Yeah, at. just yeah. the most low-hanging fruit. And eventually it climaxes with... The main thrust of his argument for Hillary Clinton is that uh, is is a feminist argument. Essentially pointing out how great it is to elect the first female president, which, you know, is not nothing. And also, there's a long section where he tries to make the argument that 
people don't like Hillary Clinton, but why is it that you don't like her? Okay, the Iraq War. Okay, but 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 you know, no big deal. But but, but what's with this email thing? What's with this yeah. Benghazi thing? Uh, none of it right. sticks. Right? Isn't it really misogyny that's at the core of it? Right. Which you know, well, I, there is a lot of misogyny there, there is at the a lot core of misogyny. Dislike for Hillary Clinton. It's very true. And then he concludes it with. I mean, the movie, and I think it's last 15 minutes, gets really insane where he makes the argument that... He talks about the Pope. Yeah. Right. And he talks about how the Pope, who's this super liberal Pope, you know, fooled the Catholic clergy into electing him by, you know, he's this insane conservative bishop from uh, South America. But then he gets in and he and they're just like, what the fuck? He says, pets go to heaven and he wishes the church could apologize to gay people. And he literally says... Hillary Clinton will be our Pope Francis or could be our Pope Francis. So he quotes from, what was it, a valedictory speech or a Mm -hmm. homecoming speech that Hillary gave when she was 19? 22, I think. Okay. Um, which is which is a pretty progressive speech. Yeah, she was she was uh, pro ending segregation after campaigning for it. And and he makes the argument that, you know, maybe maybe the fact that she was sort of a, a centrist Democrat all these years was kind of a ruse yeah uh maybe this is all part of a long a mm. long con the a real lo- hillary's gonna come out and she's gonna be right a very progressive yeah. president yeah and then he he goes off on this bizarre monologue where he says it's day one in the oval office she signs into law executive order to you know new new water pipes for flint michigan yeah, every police officer implicated in the killing of a black person in prosecuted uh, you know, like, it, which is weird because like he's saying these you know universal health care yeah. he's saying these banning things, high, then he for some reason he's banning high fructose corn syrup is one of the great progressive yeah I, I don't know i mean honestly like if you're making the case for hillary clinton i mean these aren't even things she's campaigning on no and well then after that he then says if she doesn't do these things if she doesn't keep her promises and i'm thinking she didn't promise to do any of these things yeah she campaigned in the primaries against single payer health care Mm-hmm. which you know although he makes a he makes a big deal about her having been kind of on the involved edge in healthcare, healthcare in the, in the early 90s. on yeah. yeah um i mean this narrative about hillary clinton is something that i've encountered before this idea that her instincts are fundamentally progressive but at every turn she's faced you know obstructionism she's faced like from within the democratic party from within the u.s political system and she's faced a lot of misogyny particularly from the right and i mean especially that last thing is absolutely true like and i mean we've seen in this campaign right the right has absolute they're hysterical about hillary clinton Mm -hmm. their conspiracy theories are absurd like that she has all these secret diseases yeah uh i'm i still follow uh cassandra fairbanks who's plugged into trump twitter while she's part of it and she tweets these videos like in total earnestness where it'll be an edited video of Hillary Clinton doing a double take and that's the evidence for she actually had a seizure or something. Right, right. So their theories about her are totally absurd. But the fact is the narrative that she's secretly progressive, in order to sustain that, you just have to completely ignore not only history but also things she's explicitly said about herself. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the 90s, in an interview, she said i'm a conservative that's where i identify that's where my roots are uh you know it's true that publicly her branding has shifted a lot when she was a u.s senator i mean i think she postured as you know a conservative democrat she she was uh very opposed to same-sex marriage she's very hawkish 
by the way, when she became a U.S. senator, that was the first time we were told that actually her progressive instincts were going to come out. Uh, <laughs> in that time, her major bill she sponsored was a law to ban flag burning and something about uh, like combating violent video games or something. And her vote for the Iraq War was the other big thing, which was an enthusiastic one. You know, uh, it's just, I mean, I just wrote this article for Jacobin about, I went through the Podesta emails, which have been coming out uh, the last few weeks. And, uh, you know, these these transcripts of these speeches that we find that were kind of an issue in the primaries, although we never actually saw the speeches. I mean, we've seen them now. And she is, I mean, quite literally taking the opposite position while being paid millions of dollars at these mostly banks and financial companies to take the op and she's taking the opposite position that she does in public and she says you know oh yeah you know we had to pass the Dodd-Frank bill for political reasons and she tells in one meeting she told Goldman Sachs executives that they weren't really responsible for the financial crisis and all this popular anger was misplaced and at the same time she was sponsoring a bill in 2013 she was writing a she was writing an op-ed in favor of it that was trying to ban lobbyists from entering the federal government and people from wall street she was telling uh executives in wall street that they actually faced too many uh mm -hmm. obstruct you know obstacles i mean at this point like i understand the case that people have for voting for hillary clinton i mean when donald trump is the alternative you know mm -hmm. it's a pretty powerful one but I don't understand this instinct, which Michael Moore really takes to its most absurd extreme, to pretend that she's something she isn't. Why pretend that she's anything other than what she's pretty much mm -hmm. explicitly told us she is, which is a conservative Democrat who, in the most optimistic reading, is practicing a very kind of conservative realpolitik, mm -hmm. which, you know, doesn't have many progressive instincts at its, at its core. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, or somebody who, like, could be, could be bargained with. I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, if you want to make, I mean, so the sort of Bernie Sanders case for Hillary Clinton right mm -hmm. now is, well, we have to defeat Trump. And, you know, he gave an interview recently where he said the most important thing isn't the presidency. It's and he holds up the Democratic platform, which has the $15 minimum wage in it, which we now know her aides opposed because we've seen the emails. But uh, Bernie, Sanders, Bernie Sanders hopes that he can bargain her up to 12. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you're on the left, I think it's undeniable that a Hillary Clinton presidency will be more productive for the left in every sense, like strategically planning for the future, building towards a more progressive presidency and et cetera, et cetera. But also, I mean, anyone who makes kind of an accelerationist argument for Trump, like if things get worse, that'll mm. be good. I think that the lads on Chapo Trap House have pretty convincingly argued. Uh, if, if you heard Felix Biederman's recent interview on NPR, he made a really good case that if Trump were president, it would it would be a disaster for the American left because we just go back to, you know, the Bush era opposition where the vanguard of opposition to Trump is Talking Points Memo and Michael Moore. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And and I don't think we want to go back there. So I just think it's interesting that Michael Moore doesn't make this case. I agree. Like yeah. why doesn't he make the pragmatic case for it? I think the reason is because he's under this kind of deluded impression that he's like Mark Twain and that he's <laughs> he's some kind of uniter figure here mm -hmm. he doesn't want to make the case of being okay we're leftists so let's be pragmatic yeah. about this let's get somebody we can bargain with and let's yeah. get a strong democratic congress yeah. and let's get somebody who will appoint good supreme mm -hmm. court justices and then if they don't do it then we'll build beyond them and we'll like he doesn't right. make that case yeah. because he's not arguing to leftists 
uh, he thinks that he's reaching across the aisle or he's talking to undecideds. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the arguments he makes in this film. I mean, if he's trying to address Trump voters, which is in theory the premise of this whole movie. I mean, you're not. Like, he makes all the same hackneyed liberal arguments about everything that you see on Twitter every day. Like these are not the way. This is mm-hmm. these are the things Trump voters hate if they hate anything. Trump's election is going to be the biggest fuck you ever recorded in human history. And it will feel good for a day. Yeah, maybe a week. Possibly a month. And then, like the Brits, who wanted to send a message, so they voted to leave Europe. Only to find out that if you vote to leave Europe, you actually have to leave Europe. (laughs) And now they regret it. All the Ohioans, Pennsylvanians, Michiganders, and Wisconsinites of Middle England, right? They all voted to leave, and now they regret it, and over four million of them have signed a petition to have a do-over. They want another election. It ain't going to happen because you use the ballot as an anger management tool, and now you're fucked. Well, his main line of attack is basically the feminist argument, saying, "Yeah, isn't it great that well, uh, the, li- the liberal feminist, the liberal argument. feminist yeah. argument of of you know, isn't it great we'll have the first female president and think mm-hmm. of all the abuse she's taken." Yeah, and I think, and I mean, and I think he, I think he's betting on the fact that this is enough of a mainstream position yeah. in America that he'll be able to get some undecideds on this. This reaches a climax where he talks about her. After all these executive orders that she signs, she's then going to march down to the Capitol wearing like. Uh, what is like the badass Beyonce boots? Oh my god! And yeah. he's gonna and she's gonna kick open the door of Congress and she's gonna just tell them that the obstruction is is over, like mm. the gridlock is done. He also seems to think that like in order to make the case, he has to get voters excited for mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton. That's right. And I don't I don't think that he does. No. I, th- I think you know if if he really respected his audience, yeah. he would be able to approach them as you know adults and say, "Listen, you don't have to be excited, but yeah. here are the reasons." But I mean, we should say that. You know, there are a lot of the editing. This film is very bad. Uh, lots of cuts from him to the audience in these awkward ways. But we do see a lot of people tearing up. We see a lot of like earnest mm. laughter. I mean, the audience he reaches does seem to be pretty responsive to it. I just think they're wrong to be responsive to it. It, it is interesting that he actually does have a sizable contingent of Trump supporters in the audience. Or uh, well, maybe. Well, I mean, according to, to according to the applause at the beginning yeah. and according to the body language of people we see in the audience, which, again, he could have manipulated. But because to me, the argument that he makes in this film, I mean, we started this podcast with Slacker Uprising, which was which the only film we've done, I think, really, that was out of chronology. Mm-hmm. But that was the appropriate place to begin the film. And it's, it's where we've ended up again. Here we are. It's 2016. You know, Al Gore lives on our street and a friend of the show. And um, this is him kind of doing the slacker uprising thing again, except I think this is even less effective. It's even more toothless. It's even like, because the thing about the slacker uprising is, you know, we were making fun of the fact that he hardly mentions Al Gore. Mm -hmm. But in this... Uh, John Kerry. Excuse me, John. I, same thing you know yeah same <laughs> thing the the eternal like liberal yeah. like suit um yeah. but in this i mean 
like he does this doesn't sound like the michael moore either the 90s the titular radical of the 80s and 90s it doesn't sound like the hard-nosed pragmatist that he was posturing as in the 2000s this is so much of this is just utterly obsequious crap and it is so hackneyed i mean there is a sex joke about hillary clinton at one point he tells terrible he tells this long story about like just how beautiful he thinks she is and and what an a story which I assume is entirely made up about him getting invited to some White House dinner on the day before Bill Clinton's impeachment, and then Hillary Clinton holding up the line to tell tell him how much she loved this chapter he wrote called My Forbidden Love for Hillary Clinton. No, I don't know if it was that. I think it was the Bill liked uh, TV Nation a lot. and then No, she, because Hillary Clinton stopped did, oh, him did, in the line. Did she say that she read the chapter? Well, in this okay. fictional, in this Fantasia oh. account, I'm pretty sure. And All then right. and then the joke ends where, where he says... Uh, and then she took me up to the Lincoln bedroom, which yeah. is just yeah. like, yeah, uh, I don't know. Do you want to say anything else about the jokes in this movie? Because yeah, I mean, they let's, are they are really fucking bad. Yeah, so just, beginning with the n- not a single laugh jokes about the Trump voters, where he says we've got Mexicans in the audience or and people who look like they're Mexican, but they're up in a special box and we're building a wall around them, and then we've got some Muslims. And they've all got these signs that say Muslims. Yeah, and yeah. then, but we're going to have a drone. Don't worry, it's not armed, but it's going to be overhead watching them. And then at one point in the show, he ref- he like he refers to these groups. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of people from behind this wall go like, in like a thick Hispanic accent, like we didn't hear it. And then, and then there's what is supposed to be a Muslim accent, I guess, because of course we know that uh, Muslim Americans like always have foreign accents i think for uh, me the low point of the movie like, was probably when he shows uh you know comical news footage of trump's oh, first day in I office forgot, I forgot about that with uh, I, I wish i, I, I saw that less than an hour ago and yeah. i still have uh, yeah, but, yeah but it has voiceover of somebody who's like a, a trump the worst trump impersonator i've ever heard yeah uh, and and basically the joke is that you know he orders like bombing of the mexican border within the first oh and few he, he and orders and, rosie o'donnell be deported and yeah just and to uh to where was it it was like the I some set of islands and then he climaxed with a fat joke and then it had a fat joke and then uh who cares and then uh he wanted to fly his own helicopter above the presidential motorcade yeah which i guess is an approximation of a joke or, and then, or then it had a you know a, a phone call of yeah. trump just walking into the oval office and he's like this place is a dump yeah and then kids you got to go live with pensy or whatever that's uh, uh, just uh. just desperate Good evening, Terry Hardesty reporting from our nation's capital. Donald J. Trump was sworn in today as the 45th president of the United States. I, Donald J. Trump. As some had predicted, the shit show started within minutes. Before the parade, President Trump ordered an aerial bombardment of all Mexican border towns. The instatement of stop and frisk checkpoints at all U.S. inner cities. And the deportation of Rosie O'Donnell to American Samoa. To which Trump replied, hey, it's not really a deportation. We own the damn fat farm, for Christ's sakes. The inaugural parade finally got underway, but only after President Trump insisted on flying over the parade route in his Trump helicopter, once he learned that he was expected to get out of his limo and walk to the White House. Upon arriving, the president walked inside the 200-year-old structure, took a brief look around, and we have this exclusively, a recording made by a White House maid on her cell phone. What a jump. Look, I'm not staying here, okay? Where's the penthouse? That's more appropriate. Dad, there is a second floor. I got news for you. That's not a penthouse. You kids, 
you know what? You're gonna live here with Pence. Hey, Pensy, you move in here with, with Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka, and run the show for me. It's gonna be fantastic. I'm gonna be down at the Mar-a-Lago whenever you need me. Just call. Just call. Me. I don't know. We, as a culture, 25 years ago, we told Michael Moore he was funny, and and it, we've been we've been living that yeah. down ever since. <laughs> yeah. Getting back to that point about whether or not it's better or worse than Slacker Uprising, mm-hmm. I'm kind of. See, I'm kind of on the fence about this. I'm not quite sure how I feel. Well, the politics, I think, are objectively worse than Slacker Uprising. Do you disagree? Well, not necessarily. I mean, Slacker Uprising was nothing. I mean, all it was was just a highlight reel of him. Like, I don't know what the politics were. This one, you know, it's not particularly intelligent, but he makes this sort of pseudo-feminist argument, which is at least least it's an argument. I completely disagree, because I don't think the argument that he makes in this movie is even really a political argument. What is the the political argument in Slacker Uprising? In Slacker Uprising, there's at least the pretense that these are anti-war rallies, and that we have to stop the war, right? And it's not nearly as coherent as even this film it's just like more going from one city to another no, and i agree, I, I agree see... that it's not i'm not saying slacker uprising is a good film i'm just saying like i mean both of these are terrible films with uh-huh. terrible politics but slacker uprising to me has like a whiff of real politics to it and this is just a string of liberal platitudes about like how we're all in this together and and mm. you know and it has this idea that it's that this is reaching out to Trump voters and then it just bombards you with the worst, like, sub-Borowitz platitudes mm-hmm. for for 70 minutes that felt like... I mean, testing Einstein's theory yeah. of relativity, you know, t- time uh, passes relative to how you know what you're experiencing. This felt like six or seven hours of my life, uh, really. Uh, 70 yeah, minutes. Yeah, I mean... 70 minutes. I, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's, it's a terrible film. Yeah. Well... Let's take this opportunity, I guess, to talk a little bit about, I mean, do you want to talk about where we're at in, I mean, this is the only Michael Moore film we've watched that, that is current. And, you know, we are on the cusp of a U.S. election. Um, I mean, the conventional wisdom now is it really looks like Trump is going to lose and potentially badly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, what, have, what have you been thinking about vis-a-vis the election? What have you been paying attention to? Well, I mean, the main thing I've been thinking about largely is, uh, as everybody who's been listening to this podcast knows, we've been trying to reach out for an interview with Michael Moore. Um, You know, the Michael and us army, I'm happy to say, has worked hard uh, for a lot. And, you know, it honestly, it just looks at this point like it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, um, well, I mean, I don't even know how to say this because I've got my phone out here and I'm just looking at my email and I've got... An email from Mike, like he, it's from Michael. He sent us something. Wait, wait, no, 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 for real, for real, for no, real. No, 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 show, show me. Seriously, show. Seriously, look, 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 look. M M at Michael Moore doc. Wow. I mean, I th- wait. Can I? This is like a prank, right? What, what, it could be one of our, it, wait a minute, our it, listeners. It, it's, but I mean, it, there's an audio file attached. Should we just should we just play it and and see what what happens? All right, let's let's take a look. Hi, I'm Academy Award-winning filmmaker Michael Moore. Luke, Will, I'm really proud of you guys for getting through my entire filmography. (laughs) I know it was a bit of a rough journey in there, and there were moments when you thought about quitting, but you made it. I just want to say that, rest assured, I'm going to be making another documentary, an incisive investigative film about the Donald Trump presidential campaign, Based on the current rate at which I'm making movies, it should come out sometime uh, around 2019. 
Also, I'm gonna be appearing in Lucky Numbers too. Weirdly, I'm the only returning cast member. Apparently Lisa Kudrow and John Travolta weren't available, but I think I'm gonna have a really good time with my new friends, Tara Reid and Eric Roberts. Well, thanks for watching. Keep watching the skies. I love you. This is your friend, Palm Door winning filmmaker, Michael Moore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh my God. Oh my God. So, I mean, I guess we didn't get the interview with Michael Moore, but we won his approval. In which, a way, we got something even better. I mean, but that, you, but, that's all I ever wanted. But you know what I realized over the course of doing this podcast? Like, we were searching out for an interview with Michael Moore, but at the end of the day, we didn't need we didn't need an interview with Michael Moore. We, we, to, we had it within us all along. <laughs> yeah, uh, we were we we could go we could go back to Kansas anytime. I mean, what have we accomplished in this podcast? Uh, we've you know we we watched the birth of a new political generation. Uh, we got I got to hang out with my buddy. Yeah, we. I mean, we watched Michael uh, Moore. Yeah, every week we, as I watched we, one of his films. We we watched some great cinema. We watched uh, Rage Against the Machine, uh, Bulls on Parade, or whatever it was. Pretty soon, we're going to uh, elect Hillary Clinton and enter a, a bold new era. You're right. I think we've learned a lot. I think we've learned a lot about our generation, a lot about ourselves. It's been an adventure. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Well, now watch this drive. Oh, my God.